And now, Lord, we are asking your blessing upon thy precious word. Open our eyes to understand with, ears to hear with, that we might become more like Jesus Christ. Because of it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you'll take your Bibles with me, let us turn together to our book, First Peter, as we continue our series. And we're getting close. We're in chapter 5. We're in the last chapter. And just a few more verses to go to finish our series here. But uh, here in First Peter, as you recall, the name of uh, title of our Bible study here of this particular letter uh, by Peter, we called Alien Life. And of course, the reason we called it Alien Life is because Peter begins his letter uh, speaking to the believers that are scattered abroad and reminding them that they are foreigners in this world, that any believer today is, is an alien uh, we're not meant for this world. Once we accepted Christ, we became a new creation, and we have a new citizenship in heaven. And so what a delight to know that we have that blessed hope that this is not our home, this is not our country uh, for eternity. But uh, So he wants to encourage, uh, throughout this letter, he's trying to encourage the saints uh, that are, are going through much persecution and suffering. And so we're coming to the next few verses uh, here in 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're just looking at three verses tonight. Verses 5, 6, and 7. So uh, as you recall, um, let's just read this uh, as a refresher. Verses 1 through 4. Because then that would set up verse 5. So if you look at verse 1 with me. 1 Peter 5, verse 1. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And when we looked at these four verses uh, we, we under, began to understand uh, what God has chosen for the church. He chose to put spiritual men uh, in charge over the flock. They were shepherds, spiritual shepherds, under shepherds that God has, has put in the churches. And they were chosen men, and they were uh, put in place uh, to, to care for the flock, to shepherd them, to teach them, to, to minister to their needs, teach, to feed them the word of God. And so he, he goes through, he, he speaks specifically to the elders here to encourage them because these, these elders uh, scattered abroad in these churches, uh, they're dealing with 
church folk that are under persecution as well as they themselves. And so when you are your church, your, your, uh, your flock is, is, is under uh, stress and under pressure and persecution, under attacks and much suffering, uh, it can be difficult for a pastor or an elder to, uh, to care for that flock and they need wisdom. And so Peter knew this and that's why he, he wanted to encourage uh, and exhort the elders of the church. So that brings us to verse 5. Because now he just adds this in here. And we'll just look at 5a, the first part of chapter, uh, of verse 5. Okay, so he goes on. And Peter says, You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. You likewise, be subject to your elders. Now, it's interesting that he would just mention young men here. Why not women? But he mentions men. Well, uh, most Bible scholars believe the reason Peter didn't mention women is because uh, they were considered to be under subjection to their husbands when it came to spiritual things. Okay, so to, 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 they, they usually went, the, the wife would go to the husband uh, who would help uh, teach her the word of God back then in, in those days. And so, uh, so he's focusing, though, on the younger men in the church. And when he mentions elders, now when you first read that, uh, and we've all used it, you know, uh, you know, be subject to your elders or respect your elders. Um, we, we right away think of, well, some teenager being a s- smart aleck with, with a- an older saint or somebody, and you should respect that, that older person, uh, that person up in age. But uh, he is actually, because he had just finished talking about elders, he is still uh, from uh, most good scholars believe he is still talking about the elders in the church, that the young men in the church should understand that they are to be in submission to the authority of the elders that are overseeing the church. And uh, as many of you remember when you were a young man, uh, how many can remember when you were a young man? Yeah, it's, it's tough to go back that far now. But, but you think back, uh, remember those times when, when we knew it all? And we, we had all the answers. And so we didn't, uh, pretty much, it didn't matter who it was, if it was in the church, uh, we knew best. And sometimes we can uh, get uh, full of ourselves and I think that that was Peter's concern, that some of these young uh, men were, were uh, proud of themselves, uh, you know, and they were self-centered, or they thought they knew it all, and pride was entering their heart. And so I think that this, um, this particular statement here, he's encouraging them to remember the older saints, the ones who God has placed over you as overseers, to be subject to their authority, to listen to them, to learn from them. And so uh, he mentions this, again, because I think the, the young men 
sometimes struggled with authority. Don't we see that today too? Whether it be in the church or, or in the world. So that would lead, lead us to understand why Peter is going to say what he's going to say in the next few verses. So the, the rest of verse 5. So look at verse 5 again. He said, you younger men, likewise, likewise be subject to your elders. And then he says this, and all of you, so, so he's, he's talking about the elders, the young men, everyone who he's writing to, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He's opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Suddenly, uh, Peter begins to focus upon the heart of the believer and one thing in particular he was concerned about and that was battling uh, the sin of pride battling the sin of pride which we've all had to do and he now is reminding them he says there and all of you this is what I want you to do in order for you to be subject for someone to be subject, especially a young man, to be subject to the elders of the church, what would they have to have? They have to have a heart of humility, don't they? That we would have to have a heart of humility. The only way we can truly respect authority, whether it's spiritual or, or uh, governmental authority, any other kind of authority, is if we uh, come with humility and, and we have uh, a humble heart. We've not allowed pride uh, to to reign in us. Notice he uses the word "clothe yourselves." Does that ring a bell? The word "clothing yourself." We've been studying Colossians Sunday morning, and we just last Sunday we we talked about what Paul was saying to the Colossians. Remember, he was telling the Colossians that they were to clothe themselves with the fruits of the Spirit. And he went through the list of the fruits of the Spirit. And one of those is humility. One of those is humility. And I think the key, of course, to unity and harmony in a church, and especially a church that is under persecution like these, these saints were, in order to, to come together to lift one another up and bear one another's burdens, there had to be a spirit of humility so that I'm thinking more about you and your needs than I am about mine. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. If you'll go with me to Philippians 2 and see that, that familiar passage again, Philippians 2 at verse 1. And Paul's writing to this little church in Philippi. And this is exactly what he's concerned about. Saying basically the same kind of thing that Peter's saying. 
verse 1, Philippians 2, verse 1. If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if there is any affection and compassion, he says, make my joy complete. So what would make Paul so happy? What would be the key to him being uh, having a, a heart full of joy? He says it right here. By being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. Now, there's pride right there, isn't it? Empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Verse 4, and do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Notice Paul doesn't say, don't look after your personal interests at all in verse 4. He says, don't, which uh, in the Greek it really means, don't merely look or don't just look out for your own personal interests, but be looking out for the interests of others. And so this, Paul is saying that this is where the unity of the body of Christ is going to come from. If I am making sure that what I am doing, I'm not doing it out of selfish or empty conceit. But there it is in verse 3. But with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. So the Apostle Paul was driving home this truth uh, about being clothed with humility. And then, of course, he gives us the greatest example of all in verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves. What attitude is that? The mind of humility. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he, here it is, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. There in verse 8, how do we know Jesus was humble? It's because He obeyed his father's will to the point where he said, yes, father, I will go to the cross. And that's why he says there, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of the cross, which means he submitted himself, the son of God submitted himself to the father's authority. And so there is the perfect example of a mind of humility. And that's again what, Peter is saying, 
Peter's saying the same thing uh, that, that he's saying to the church, clothe yourself with that humility of Christ that, that you might uh, exalt others and not allow yourself to, to be exalted. Because if, if we go back, we can see what pride does. Turn with me to an Old Testament passage, Daniel chapter 4. All the way back to Daniel, if you would, with me. And we come to the book of Daniel, chapter 4, familiar passage, of course. Again, and here in, in Daniel 4, uh, we uh, want to look at, uh, pick it up at verse 28. Daniel 4, verse 28. We, ha- we have a story about Nebuchadnezzar. This powerful king, he had everything going for him. But I want us to see a transformation that God brought to this king, this heathen king. And of course, we know that he's already shown Nebuchadnezzar, God has already shown his power through the the saving of the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. But look here, verse 28. And all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is it not not Babylon the great which I have built as a royal residence by the might of my power? And for the glory of my majesty. Now there is a picture of pride. And look at this, verse 31. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you and you will be driven away from mankind And your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle. And seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. What's God saying here to Nebuchadnezzar? I am God. You are not. And what a picture of the world today. Do we not see around us people just like Nebuchadnezzar who are basically saying they're acting like God? Look what I built. You've got all these people and these famous folk that come on television or or they got these great corporations and they own half the world and... and, uh, and they, they exalt themselves, and they think that they did it all, and they, they take all the glory. And God is saying here to Nebuchadnezzar, like he says to everyone else, he's saying, I want you, you're going to understand something. You are going to recognize that the Most High, me, is the ruler over the realm of mankind, and I bestow it on whomever I wish. Verse 33, immediately... The word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. And he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven. 
until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Can you imagine? Picture that. But that's what happened. He, God had caused him to lose his mind. He'd become insane. And so he went out and he just, he acted like an animal. He actually bent over and walked like an animal, ate grass like an animal. He allowed his hair to grow. God allowed it to grow like, like feathers on him. And, and the, his nails grew long like bird's claws. God was trying to reach him, saying, Nebuchadnezzar, I want you to humble your heart before me. And then verse 34, here's the beauty of it. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. What's he doing now? He's praising the Lord. He is giving God all the glory. And he, suddenly God used this to humble this man. For his kingdom, he goes on, for his kingdom, speaking of God's kingdom, is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what hast thou done and at that time my reason returned to me and my majesty splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out so I was reestablished in my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me verse 37 now I Nebuchadnezzar praise exalt and honor the king of heaven for all his works are true and his ways are just here it is and he is able to humble those who walk in pride is that not a message for today and a message for our hearts it is for mine if i ever get to the place where i suddenly see that 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 ugly sin of pride rise up in me and we are all capable still capable of it uh, of that sin until we get to heaven we've all got to battle it but it's so easy to to be wrapped up in something and and what we've done and 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 just f- uh, be full of ourselves and think that we've got all this talent all this ability all this money i made all this money you know or or i i created all these things and and made built this business and everything else and god doesn't get any glory this is telling me larry god will humble you he'll find a way to humble you if you do not humble yourself and so this is a reminder to me as peter is trying to remind everyone in the church remember to walk humbly before your God. So if you turn back with me to 1 Peter, let's go back again to 1 Peter here. And that's where he's going with this. Verse 5 again, he said, And all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God opposed is opposed to the proud, but gives what? Grace to the humble. 
He's actually quoting from Solomon. This is a quote in verse 5 from Proverbs 3.34, which basically says the same thing. But he is bringing, Peter is using uh, scripture from the Old Testament to bring forth here, and he's reminding people that God opposes the proud. And the perfect example we saw in Nebuchadnezzar. And then verse 6. What does he say? Peter writes, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Notice who should be doing the humbling? I should. It says, humble yourselves. In other words, that's my responsibility to make sure my heart stays humble before my Lord. So that I do not, so that I am walking humbly before him. And that, uh, and that again, I am looking uh, on the interests of others and, and trying to lift up others rather than myself. But humble yourselves before, therefore, be under the hand of mighty God. It's under the mighty hand of God that I need to humble myself. And something wonderful then happens. When I walk in the Spirit, and I'm walking in the, and producing the fruits of the Spirit, which only the Spirit can produce in me, because Jesus Christ's Spirit dwells within me, He will produce humility. And if I have the, a heart of humility, that is the time when God will say, Now I can use you. Now I'm going to exalt you. And how many times have we seen throughout Scripture, and even in in the history and and our own life, you've seen someone who's, who's had a humble heart. They never sought to exalt themselves, but yet suddenly God takes them up, and he places them up, and uses them in a mighty, powerful way for his glory. Why? Because that individual is not seeking his own glory, but is seeking the glory of God. I mean, another beautiful picture of that is, of course, David. David had a humble heart. He, he couldn't have been a man after God's own heart if he did not have a heart of humility. And where did he begin getting that heart of humility? Out there as a boy taking care of the sheep, fighting off lions and bears to protect those little lambs. That all he knew that it was God that was delivering him. He all, Remember when he gave, gave glory to God in front of Saul, he said, I can go fight this giant, this Philistine, because God delivered me from the bear and the claws of the lion, the mouth of the lion. So David had the heart of humility, and Peter's trying to get this across and understand that God is going to use each one of us and lift us up, even under persecution or suffering, if we, are, if we come humbly before him. And then we conclude, let's conclude with verse 7. He then adds this on, this great verse that I know many of you have probably claimed many times, casting all your anxiety or care upon him because he cares for you. Cast all your anxiety or cares upon him because he cares for you. 
Cast all your worry and care. The, the Greek word for anxiety here, it's interesting what that really means. It really means to be torn apart, to re, be ripped apart. In other words, he's saying, the Greeks say that, that anxiety is like having flesh torn apart. Sometimes your anxiety can get so great. And how many of us have experienced those times of anxiety in our life? And, and remember, we, we just don't know what to do. And we feel like we're not going to make it. But here's a wonderful promise, dear Christian. Take this home with you tonight. Take this home. What he wants us to do is take all our anxiety, and what are we to do with it? All our worries and cares, and we don't have time to turn to it. I wanted to turn to it in Matthew 5, where the Lord uh, talked about, you know, take no thought for tomorrow, and, and, and all the anxiety there that we carry, but to trust the Lord who takes care of us like he does a sparrow. But what is he saying here? Take all your anxiety and... Cast it upon him. Cast it upon him. And that, in the Greek there, that word cast literally means to throw. To throw on. And it has the idea in the Greek of a fisherman. That when the fishermen were out fishing, they had their giant nets on the, on the boat. And so they would throw those nets out into the water like Peter and the disciples did when they caught fish. And they would throw them out there and it would scatter, but they had to really heave it to get it out there and then let it go and it would fall and catch all the fish. That's the idea here that Peter is trying to convey. Take your anxiety like a net, you're gone fishing. And the only way you're really going to get those fish is if you cast that net as far as you can. And what's wonderful is, where am I to cast my anxiety? On him. On my Savior. On my Lord, who suffered for me on Calvary. And he took my burdens and your burdens on himself so that we do not have to worry and live in anxiously every day whether it be in the morning, afternoon, or night. Yes, there will be times where suddenly something will happen and we get fearful or we, we don't know what words. Anxiety sets in and, and we allow it to control us. Peter's saying, humble yourselves before the Lord and then take your anxiety, throw it upon the Lord. He will sustain you. And why will he sustain you? He said is there at the end of verse 7. Because he cares for you. I wonder, Greg, could we pull up, does Jesus care? Do you, can you find the words for that? If we could find that hymn, we're going to um, uh, close, I think, think with that. That just came to my heart to sing that. If, if Janine can find it in the book, and uh, we're going to uh, sing that in closing. But uh, let's just ask God's blessing. Father, thank you, Lord, for teaching us once again from your, your wonderful word, Lord, what it means to be like Christ, your son, to have the mind of Christ. Father, I pray that each one of us would desire to have that humble mind, humble heart, that we might walk humbly before thee. 
so that the world may know that we are not seeking our own glory, but we are seeking your glory. And Father, may we cast our anxiety upon you, for we know that you, will, you care for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.